1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions, and more, the fans of the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at Ladbrooks.com, 18Gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
0: Fire, fire. There's
2: the full-time whistle And listen to the booze of the Tottenham Hotspur supporters Nuno stood knowing he is under pressure There's nothing worse than hearing your own supporters Venting their frustration at you
1: Only with actions No words is going to take the anger out of of our fans This is how it is And you think you can do it? Of course, we all, we all. Listen, he was eighth choice. He's not good enough and we have to move on. If you saw a a vibrant team who'd given everything they got and there was a structure and taking the game to the opposition, especially at the top of Hotspur Stadium, you'd go, "Okay, we realise, you know, we might make mistakes, but I can see what he's trying to do. You know it and I know it. And the evidence of your eyes tell you that is not going to work.
2: I'd, I'd quite happily get rid of Nuno and take Scott Parker
0: now i do think it's clear at the moment that he he is he is out of his depth a little bit some of the decisions he's making and it's, it, he seems a nice guy but as you said
2: crooked it doesn't look like the players are playing for him luno espirito santo's future is being discussed by sporting director fabio paratici and daniel levy today the expectation is that he could be relieved of his duty in the next 24 hours Nuno Espírito Santo has been sacked as Tottenham boss after just 4 months in charge. Here on the Game Day podcast we're going to reflect on exactly what course of events happened in the last 24 hours that meant that Spurs chairman Daniel Levy has ended up sacking yet another manager. We're going to have our first change and Lucas Moura is taken off and he shakes his head. He looks to the sky and walks over towards the near touchline and listen to what the Tottenham Hotspur fans think of it. Wow! They're booing the decisions of Nuno and not just a little bit, by the way. There's the full-time whistle and listen to the boos of the Tottenham Hotspur supporters. Nuno stood knowing he is under pressure. There's nothing worse than hearing your own
1: supporters venting their frustration at you. Only with actions. No words is gonna take the anger of our our fans. This is how it is. And you think you can do it? Of course, we all,
3: we all. Massive news, but not necessarily surprising news. In the last few moments, TalkSport have had confirmation. Nuno Espirito Santo sacked as Tottenham Hotspur manager.
0: He's very unlucky. I mean, five wins, five losses, ten games to be in the job. We
3: need Harry Potter to wave his magic wand, (laughs) don't we, Uh, Tottenham? It's the right
0: old grumpy Hogwarts at the moment. I think the players should be embarrassed by what they've given him. They must have someone
3: lined up. I I don't know who that person is, but they need to have someone who's going to
1: come in with a better style of football. It's my understanding now that the Tottenham players believe the next man in charge is going to be Conte. He needs to coach them and evolve them as players, never mind just the management side in terms of motivation.
2: And for the first time since 2012, Chelsea win the FA Cup it means silverware in both seasons for
1: Antonio Conte. has always been the man in the list of Fabio Paratici. They worked together at Juventus. He was the main name on the list of Tottenham. Conte doesn't come into
2: Tottenham with a rebuild. Conte comes in as a perennial winner that's got a win record only
0: second to Pep Guardiola.
2: That was some of the reaction from Talk Sport this morning as Spurs chairman Daniel Levy and managing director of football Fabio Paratici decided that Nuno Espirito Santo could no longer continue as the manager after Saturday's miserable 3-0 home defeat to Manchester United. A statement from Tottenham on Monday said this, The club today can announce that Nuno Espirito Santo and his coaching staff Ian Cathro, Rui Barboso and Antonio Diaz have been relieved of their duties. I know how much Nuno and his coaching staff wanted to succeed, said Paratici, and I regret that we have had to take this decision well I don't think they regret it too much because they've spent quite a lot of money in appointing him and then firing after just 17 games even by Daniel Levy's standards of appointing managers and he's pretty bad at it this is an unbelievable turn of events. not unbelievable if you've witnessed Tottenham's games this season because it was clearly not working but this is a huge huge mistake Alex Crook
3: a very costly mistake for the reasons that you've just outlined. It's uh, not a cheap business sacking a manager, let alone an entire coaching staff. We believe quite firmly now, and my sources confirming it on Monday morning, that Antonio Conte is very much the man that Tottenham want to appoint. Of course, they wanted to appoint him in the summer. He wasn't interested then. He is now. And you can only assume that's because Daniel Levy is willing to throw open the checkbook and give Conte the type of backing that he deserves. Yes, he's an abrasive character, but he's a winner. He's won titles in Italy. He's won the premier league at Chelsea. He will raise the standards. I've described it on Twitter as a game changer for Tottenham, but you have to say, why didn't Daniel Levy pull out all the stops to get Conte in the summer? Why, why make such a bad appointment and, reap the consequences well it's really interesting that Antonio
2: Conte is prepared to take this job now and I wonder whether or not it's because he's worked out that he's not going to get the Manchester United job so he's thinking well I need to get back in at some point and if Spurs are going to yield to his demands, then why not go there and try and make a huge difference? Because let's be clear, you know, it is a big football club, great stadium, great training ground. There's there's worse places to work than Spurs on a day-to-day basis. I mean, physically, Um, but the squad needs an overhaul. It needs incredible amounts of investment. And I just don't see that being and ever being Daniel Levy's way of working. So I don't know what he's promised, but until I see Antonio Conte in the dugout for Tottenham, I ain't gonna believe it because if anyone can mess up a deal, it's Daniel Levy. If anyone can get a manager basically to the trough without making them drink, it's him because usually they look down at that trough and then walk away. It happened nine times in the summer. So until it's signed sealed and delivered, I don't think we can say it's absolutely one hundred percent. But I do think it, it has far-reaching consequences. And and probably there's one man sitting in his office at Carrington this morning with a big old smile on his face, and that's Oligan Solskjaer.
3: Luckiest manager possibly in Premier League history, that he will be delighted um, with this news because make no mistake, there were talks via intermediaries between Manchester United and Conte in the aftermath of that 5-0 defeat against Liverpool. (laughs) Not only has Nuno Espirito Santo kept Oli in a job with that diabolical performance from Tottenham against Manchester United at the weekend, he's now kept him in a job because it looks like Antonio Conte is going to be Nuno's successor. But... I understand why you're being cautious. I actually tweeted in the summer, done deal for Conte, it looked like it was at that stage. I'm certainly not going to use those words again, but all the vibes we're getting out of Tottenham and out of Italy and Conte's camp is that this, can now happen. But you're right, the squad is in need of a massive overhaul. I spoke about this on the boot room on Sunday night. The, the, the recruitment from Tottenham, not just in terms of managers, but players as well, really going right back to when they got all that money for Gareth Bale. They wasted that money. You look at the players they've spent decent money on in the current squad. Bergwijn doesn't do enough for me. Lacelso average attitude problem when it comes to Ndombele. So they really need to get that element right. And and the track record of Daniel Levy when it comes to managers. I mean, if you look at, he must've had a dozen managers, maybe more since he took over at Tottenham. Harry Redknapp did well. Pochettino got them to a Champions League final. Martin Yoli, possibly wasn't his appointment, did well. Apart from that, it's been an absolute nightmare when it comes to recruiting a manager. <laughs>
2: oh, you're absolutely right about that. And I've said it a few times. We've had this discussion before. I mean, he's he hardly ever appointed a decent manager. I don't know the exact date that he took over. I think it was the early part of the 2000s. The so I'm going to give him the benefit and doubt and say he didn't appoint David Pleat as the interim manager in September 2003. Uh, but Jacques Santini, disaster. Martin horrible. OK, but they didn't appoint Martin Martignol just happened to be Jacques Santini's assistant. And they thought, well, actually, he's got quite a bit of personality. We'll get him in charge. One Day Ramos, disaster. Redknapp, the best one that they have appointed. Vias Boas, disaster. Sherwood, disaster. Pochettino, very good. Um, Jose Mourinho, nightmare. Ryan Mason, unfair on him. Nuno Espirito Santo, terrible, terrible appointment. And Spurs, I mean, probably if I was Joe Lewis and I was looking at the running of this club, I mean, they must make some money for him because otherwise I'd be looking at Daniel Levy and asking, what on earth are you doing? No one in the, in the Spurs support has any respect for him. No one in, amongst the, uh, I mean, the, the captain, not the captain, he's not the captain, although he's the, he's the leader of the group, Harry Kane doesn't want to be at the club anymore. Hugo Lloris wanted to leave in the summer. It's a club going only one way. Now, maybe the Conte appointment will change that. No wonder Daniel Levy feels as if he's got to pull out the stops because I think, actually, he's probably fighting for his own future.
3: Yeah, and fan power seems to go a long way at Tottenham as well. I'm convinced it was the reaction of the crowd leaving early, booze for Daniel Levy, booze for Nuno when he made that change, uh, bringing on Bergwijn for Lucas Moura. I'm convinced that's what clicked for Daniel Levy because as I understand it, they weren't talking about getting rid of Nuno going into the weekend. They hadn't actually spoken to Antonio Conte until Sunday night. That's how quickly uh, things have developed and evolved. Harry Kane's an interesting one uh, because we were quite critical of him on the boot room, his body language. As you've said, he, he clearly doesn't want to be there. He didn't want to play for Nuno. Doesn't really want to play for Tottenham, but I think, he might want to play for Antonio Conte. Kane's quite an intelligent football man. He will be impressed by Conte, his CV, the aura that he has. They never took to Nuno. The Wolves players didn't like Nuno uh, by the end of his tenure at Molyneux. He's not a particularly likable character. They didn't enjoy his training regime. And, and the reason they got rid of Jose Mourinho was because they weren't happy with the style of football. Well, what they did was appoint Mourinho Mark 2. It made yeah. no sense.
2: I mean, uh, ultimately, they appointed you know, Spirito Santo because they exhausted every other option that was available to them, which is why I, I really hope for Tottenham Hotspur fans that they've done this deal with Conte already, because if they haven't and they go through another long-winded process, God knows what's going to happen between now and when they finally find someone uh, to take it. Um, If you're just uh, tuning into this and you're thinking, what's all this news about Tottenham? Why are we talking exclusively about Tottenham? This is supposed to be a look back at all of the, the weekend's action. Well, the weekend's action culminated with Nuno Espirito Santo being sacked. Uh, we will get to all the rest of the games. We've got the the rest of the matches all looked at in detail with Trevor Sinclair coming up very shortly. But we're discussing the Tottenham situation. Uh, the fact that they've sacked their manager again after just four months and 17 games. They're looking for a new one. We expect it to be Antonio Conte. As far as we understand it, what happened yesterday was Daniel Levy and the managing director, Fabio Paratici, had talks at the Tottenham training ground thinking about how they could move the club forward without Nuno Espirito Santo, after a disastrous performance against Manchester United in the home game live on TalkSport on Saturday night. Antonio Conte is the first choice. He's 52 years of age. He's won three Serie A titles with Juventus. He won the title with Chelsea in the Premier League and followed that up the following season with an FA Cup for Chelsea. He went to Inter Milan. He then took them to Serie A for the first time for a very long time. And he's fallen out with pretty much all three of those clubs during that period. I know that Darren Lewis, who works on this podcast, says that it's a myth that, that, he, uh, that he's only a short-term appointment. But I think his career to date has sort of indicated that. Um, other contenders are Paolo Fonseca, the former Roma boss. He was linked uh, in the summer with Spurs. Graham Potter, Sergio Sau has been mentioned. Even Scott Parker has been mentioned as well. And of course, Maurizio Pochettino was heavily linked with a return to the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the summer. But we're pretty certain it's going to be Antonio Conte. Um, How much do you think he can influence Tottenham's play in the time between now and the January transfer window? Because even at Chelsea, it took him a little while. In fact, I was talking to someone last night about the thrashing by Arsenal, 3-0 at the Emirates Stadium in the early part of the first season he was in charge there. And it was actually only after that game that he changed to a back three and they went on to win the title.
3: So sometimes his methods can take a little bit of time. Well, there are only five points off the top four at this moment in time. They had that incredible start to the season, you may remember, Mm. Uh, Nuno winning all three of his first matches all looked rosy then, but it didn't actually, if you scratch beneath the surface and look to the actual performances that Tottenham were producing, but they've got a nice run of games as well. Uh, Everton away from home in what will probably be Conte's first league game in charge on Sunday Leeds in a couple of weeks time, because you'll have that international break uh, in between then Burnley away, Brentford at home, Norwich at home, Brighton away. They don't really play any of their rivals for a European place until they go to Leicester on the 16th of December. So, so I think- quite
2: quickly then, I suppose, he can get yeah. in there and get some points on the board and actually make them top four challengers again.
3: Yeah, and what we know about Antonio Conte, he will tighten them up defensively. I think getting Kane playing again is key, um clearly he has been mentally scarred by what happened in the summer and him not getting that move to manchester city despite the fact that darren lewis was actually lyrical about the goals that he scored in the europa public sorry europa conference league his form in the premier league has Stop been disappointing
2: don't i mean what did you describe it to me earlier on has um, and darren's been going on about his goals against the butchers and the candlestick makers in that <laughs> league on a Thursday night. That's a, a bit unfair, I think, on your part. But you're never one con- <laughs> that to, uh, to 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 reach for an uh, an understatement, are you? Um <laughs> what about the the Spurs supporters? I mean, I don't think you could find any Spurs supporters that are unhappy about Nuno Espirito Santo going. Um I mean the Tottenham Hot Spurs Supporters Trust said, we take no pleasure in seeing the 14th manager of Enix Reign depart today. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo conducts himself with integrity, good grace and civility during his, his short space of time at Spurs. I'm not necessarily sure about that. Although clearly not the right fit for Tottenham, we wish him and his coaching staff all the best. Of, of immediate concern now is where the club goes next. We reiterate the questions around strategy and vision, first post to the club's board in early October. The fans aren't happy, are they? I mean, it's two years of obvious regression now, isn't it,
3: since that Champions League final. And it had gone a little bit stale before then. Yeah, and I've been saying for a while that they overachieved by reaching that Champions League final. I think that was a coaching masterclass from Mauricio Pochettino. When you look at the the squad of players and the way that a lot of those largely same players have performed since. That The fans are unhappy because Daniel Levy, after the fiasco involving the Super League, did promise that he would be more open and more transparent and would hold meetings with various supporters groups. He hasn't fulfilled that pledge. And actually, listen to the reaction on White and Jordan, which was a great listen on Monday morning. Simon Jordan starting the programme by saying, there's no way Conte will go to Tottenham. And then it became fairly clear that actually he might. The Tottenham fans that were calling in weren't overly enamoured by the arrival of Antonio Conte and I'll go back to the conversation that you and Darren had quite heatedly on last week's podcast I don't understand that I don't know how how any Tottenham fan can turn around and say we don't want Antonio Conte what you don't want a a Premier League champion you don't want a serial winner in Serie A you don't want a manager who knows how to get the best out of players and, and is demanding of his players what's not to love and I think it's a bit of a myth and I asked you about this as a someone who has followed Chelsea closely, should we say? Was his football at Chelsea as negative as people say? I, I don't think it was. It wasn't negative. I mean, they, they kept a lot of clean sheets. Um, it wasn't... What's wrong with that?
2: Either. Um, no, absolutely. Chelsea won the Champions League by keeping clean sheets just six months ago under Thomas Tuchel. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Look, he made Victor Moses a, cha- a title winner in the Premier League. The guy is a brilliant coach. He's won titles with Inter Milan, with Juventus, with Chelsea. This guy's not a fraud. This guy's brilliant. But with brilliance becomes a cost. That cost is he wants huge money to spend and he is combustible. He can be miserable. He can cause you pain if he doesn't get what he wants. Now, my experience of watching Daniel Levy in operation is he doesn't give anybody what they want apart from what Daniel Levy wants. So that's got potential problems down the line. And I think we said the same thing with Jose Mourinho and we were proved right. So I'm not necessarily sure that um, it's going to end in, in, you know, roses round the door. But also Tottenham getting Conte, that's amazing, like it
3: was getting Mourinho.
2: But be prepared for it to go wrong as well as go right.
3: I think this is where Paratici's role is so important. He needs to be that conduit between Daniel Levy and the manager. Obviously, he has a a long-standing relationship with Antonio Conte anyway. Daniel Levy, who is clearly a good businessman, and as you said, he's made a lot of money um, for the owners of Tottenham Hotspur he needs to focus on what he's good at and he needs to leave the director of football to do the job that he's been employed for that's to take care of the football side uh, I totally agree with that all the rest of
2: the games coming up in just a second we must just say congratulations to on Gunnar Solskjaer Our tactical change at the weekend uh, to outwit uh, Nuno Espirito Santo three at the back Ronaldo and Cavani up top combined age of 70 but uh, goals between them you know, not only did they score two brilliant goals they actually played very well In the game, they were the dominant force. And they deserved to win. And they roll on to their game against Atalanta on Tuesday night in fine fettle. But they do have a big derby at the weekend as well. Okay, let's look back at the rest of the weekend's fixtures.
1: it may seem a little early in the season to be talking about the race for fourth place Leicester City and Arsenal are neck and neck in that race the winner of this game will go up to fifth this afternoon Saka looks inside Lacazette with a real chance breaks the challenge of Evans away by Thomas in by Smith
3: Rowe and Arsenal lead by two
0: goals to nil when you have European it was easy to get up for one game a week but when you have midweek games and cup games and European games and another big game at the weekend that's a challenge especially for young players
2: Aaron's save us with one minute to go before half-time and a real moments of quality as well, and and today he saw us in two or three moments in the game when we needed that.
1: Salah down the right-hand side of the box, checks in field, rolls it back to Henderson! What a start for Liverpool! A goal up in three minutes!
3: Is the skipper, Jordan Henderson? Watford nil at Southampton won a beauty of a delivery from Che Adams right into the right hand corner. Maxwell Corne has now got his goal and this one is an absolute peach. 36 minutes gone and it's Burnley 3 Brentford 0. Jorginho waits on the spot, comes forward now on his right foot and sticks it straight down the middle. He applauds the fans behind the
1: goal. Chelsea are staying top. It's Newcastle 0, Chelsea three. He wanted to keep the level up of intensity and uh I think the performance overall was very good, but the performance off the ball was outstanding today, and that was the key. It's Manchester City nil, Crystal Palace 2. They worked it down the left hand side to Wilf Zaha. They thought the opportunity had gone, but they stick it in the back of the net now, made it 2 0. The line play it into
3: Trossard. Trossard, ready keeper. It's 2 2. Leandro Trossard equalises for Brighton over Albion.
2: Don't want to take anything away from them, but we could have caused them much more problems than we did. Today, unfortunately, they finished their situation situations off, so, um, but they don't do all the time, but today they did it and that's why it's a 2-2. You know, I think the Liverpool supporters here, they're very knowledgeable, they know there was in a game and they know that we played well and that says it all really, we're delighted with, like I said, delighted with the point but even more so with the performance. McTominay forward to Matic again and now he does slide in, Rashford who's onside and he's charging into the area, right-footed finishes it, into the bottom corner Marcus Rashford smashes it home after it bounces back out to celebrate. There's the full-time whistle and listen to the booze of the Tottenham Hotspur supporters. It's finished at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Tottenham Hotspur 0, Manchester United 3. Uh, Manchester City 0 Crystal Palace 2. I was wrong about Palace this week. I've been a fan of Vieira, but I didn't think they had this in their locker. I didn't think they had the rigidity to hold on against Manchester City. Um, but they were awesome. Conor Gallagher was immense. Defensive nous, athleticism, intelligence of knowing when to press, and a pass
3: and a goal threat. He really does have almost everything. Interesting dilemma for him, though, um, in, in terms of if he goes back to Chelsea at the end of the season, does he get in their midfield? I think it's very difficult. Um, well, I think he might do at the moment. I mean, I've got to be honest
2: with you. That's the area of Chelsea's team at the moment I'd be a little bit most c- concerned about. Mount to come back in?
3: You no, I mean, yeah, Conte, Conte, Conte's,
2: Conte's not playing, can't get fit at the moment.
3: Kovacic is out for a long time now. He's picked up an injury. But when they're all fit, Jorginho, I, I just don't see how Gallagher shoehorns his way in. Listen, it's not something he's got to worry about now. He's got the season on loan at Crystal Palace, and Chelsea's losses. Very much their game, but it will be a dilemma for him, much like it was for Tammy Abraham, Liveramento deciding he had to go to Southampton to get game time Tamori, Morey. Gurhi. Sarek Lamptey. So, <laughs> I mean, producing a lot of good players, though, aren't they? It, it, it speaks volumes for their academy. <laughs> have a B team. But just on, on Palace, yeah, tremendous credit to them. And I think Vieira, to change the style of play as quickly as he has and pick up results, deserves an awful lot of credit. But again, it just highlights Manchester City's shortcomings in terms of a number nine, something that I spoke to Trevor about when he called me at the weekend. And Jack Grealish as well, £100 million. Are we seeing a £100 million player?
0: I have to, I have to be honest. You know, I speak to a, quite a few Manchester City fans who go to home and away games and he certainly won them over with his work rate, with his ability to adapt to different positions in the pitch, with his ability to just be show that personality on the pitch. Yeah. I think the only thing now, 10 games into the season and you're seeing his lack of goals and I think you put him, you have to put him next to Raheem and the amount of goals when Raheem's on song that he scored. I think I think the team's missing that. Yeah, but something... if,
2: you, if you put him next to Raheem at the moment, Raheem scored two goals in 28 appearances. No,
0: I understand, I understand City. that. So I understand. So he's not
2: exactly performing either. And that is a problem across the whole of the team, isn't it? Well, Of course Just it is. why we're talking about the Harry Kane situation, the XG in this game was less than Crystal Palace's.
0: And that tells you its own story. So that is a huge problem. Pep knows that. I think, you know, these are some of the frustrations that I thought as soon as we didn't get uh, Howland or Kane or some other striker in this summer, I thought these problems would catch up with Manchester City. And it's exactly how it's panning out. They're playing well, they're dominating games and they're lacking goals in that final third. And I think when you play out from the back as much as Manchester City do, you're going to get the odd mistake. That happened, Laporte. The, pen, the 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 sending off i think that's frustration from not scoring when you've got so much possession and um going back to Vieira, i thought he's, I, I thought he's done superb i thought like you said he's changed the the style the way they play I think Conor Gallagher, I don't know whether this has been said before, but he reminds me massively of Frank, a young Frank Lampard. He's goals, he's combative, he's technical with his passing ability and he seems to understand scenarios really well on the pitch mm. and make good decisions. So, yeah, he's got a big future, whether that's at Chelsea or another Premier League club, but he's certainly showing that he's Premier League class.
2: Uh, Wilfred Zaha not only scored his 50th Premier League goal, but also provoked a red card from Emmerich Laporte at the end of the first half. Now, I think this was a red card and I think the Evans one was probably a red card too. This is in the Leicester-Arsenal game, which we'll talk about later, but let's talk about these two incidents because they're almost identical. Now, I know that a lot of people were sort of up in arms. Consistency is a massive problem. Well, this one should have been a red if that one's a red. This one should have been a yellow if this one's a yellow. But actually, both of those decisions are on the borderline because of the distance from which the offence takes place and the goal. And the law suggests that you have to make a judgment based on what the next action is. So if you're penalised for denying a goal-scoring opportunity, it's because the next act is to score a goal. There's a hell of a long way to go in both those incidents to decide whether or not a goal is going to be scored. So because they're on the borderline and the referees have made the calls, which is their opinion on the yep. goal to play, the VAR isn't going to get involved because it is not a clear and obvious
3: error although the VAR did get involved in the Aston Villa game for denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Which we'll talk about in just a second. but Let's, let's not go into that one, because I think that
2: might have been a product of what happened here. Let's talk mm-hmm. about these ones in particular. I think that you can make a call either way, and we can argue it, and no one can really
3: come up with a definitive yeah. version. I, I don't think, had uh, Laporte not been sent off, that Patrick Vieira would have complained. No.
0: Um, I think you have to look at the players involved. And um, you look at the players that are trying to retreat and get back goal side. And in both Aubameyang's case and in the case with Zaha, I think you're looking at two extremely quick players who've got great close control of the ball at the feet. And I think their next action without anyone being able to physically get involved would be a match, a goal scoring situation. So, so they can
2: be both sent off. And I agree with that. Yeah, you can come to that judgment and you can also come to the judgment that it's too far and they're not definitely going to score a goal. Completely a yellow understand car. that. yeah. So I, I, I don't see this massive sort of argument about, oh, it's out of all that one gets a yellow, one gets a red, because actually the nuance of it is, is actually that they are all debatable. They're both debatable. And that that that, I think, is probably the takeaway. Anyway, let's ask another question. I don't know if this is debatable or not, but I'm going to say it. Kevin De Bruyne is having a terrible start to the season. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, it's been it's been a difficult start. Um, we've seen him have difficult periods throughout his time at Manchester City, and he he, he seems to just find a way to get that goal, to get that um, inspiration, and to find his form again. It, it seems to be taking its its time. Um, I thought Liverpool, there was a few cracks being papered over because of his goal. And he didn't get spoken about, as well as Phil Foden having an exceptionally good game. That kind of took a lot of the highlights. But even in that game, I thought he was below par, giving simple balls away and and looking a little bit of a frustrated figure. So, yeah, it's going to be a concern. I think there's fatigue, not just physically, but mentally from the Euros in the summer and from the season that they had, you know, winning the league, winning the cup, then losing in the semi-final FA Cup, losing the Champions League final. It's a lot to take on board emotionally um, for a player. And I just think maybe it might be a time just to. It's difficult to take him out without making headlines. I mean, that's problem a problem that has. big got. injuries as
2: well, didn't he? You know, the injury yeah. in the Champions League final, the injury in the European Championships. I mean, it's, it's not been a particularly seamless, smooth ride for him since signing his new contract.
0: No. No, it has been difficult. So I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't. You know, start thinking. Oh, he's got his contract now. He's he, he's kind of took his foot off the pedal. I think there's a lot of things that come into it. But I'm sure. Listen, he looks like he he lo- he lives for football. Um, and I, I actually heard a Ruben Diaz uh, documentary uh, clip the other day, and he talks about if you go and if you if you want to enjoy football and and play at a top level, yeah don't come to Manchester City because you've actually got to give your life. And I think that's what the intensity is around Manchester City when you're working under uh, Pep Guardiola and his coaching staff. And I think sometimes that can take its toll as well.
2: Um, Just to point out, Trevor has, during this Manchester City chat, said, we... <laughs> um, but when he says we again, and when we're talking about West Ham, just remember that, fans. Uh, even though he wanted them to
3: lose, yeah, in, in midweek,
2: desperate for them to lose. I think shocking behavior. Just a
3: very quick one, uh, I think they've missed Ferran Torres as well in, in terms of that false number nine role. I think he's been a they um, weren't playing him there anyway, he's been a big miss for them. Jesus, for me, still doesn't convince, and they're five points behind Chelsea, yeah. You do wonder how many more points they can afford to fall behind, uh, even at this early stage. They were behind
2: stage. last season and they it's came back. Better top four this season. I actually think the team, that I mentioned it uh, right at the beginning of the season, the team that I think were undervalued with Liverpool. Liverpool and Brighton drew 2-2 on uh, Saturday, live on TalkSport. Liverpool got 2-0 in front but dropped points at home. It was the 250th time that Liverpool had led by two goals in the Premier League, but only the sixth time that they haven't won from that position. Was it sloppiness or should we praise Brighton?
3: No, I'm not sure it was sloppiness. I think for me, the the, the key point in the game was the the Salah goal, disallowed for offside. If if that had been allowed to stand and it was marginal, correct call, but it was marginal. I think it would have been game over. I think give Brighton credit. And the Mane handball goal, which was uh, chalked off as well, which would have, again,
2: extended Liverpool's lead.
3: Yeah, so two big calls, both correct. Um, And the Brighton disallowed goal, I think that was correct as well. Jurgen Klopp afterwards, actually, unusually gracious um in, in dropping a couple of points. He was full of praise for Graham Potter. Having Eve Basuma back on the pitch makes a massive difference for Brighton. Terrific goal from Mwepu as well. And and really good character because they got a bit of a lesson against Manchester City. And at two 0 down they could have let their heads drop and feared it was happening again, but they came storming back and actually but some good saves from Allison. They could even have won the game
2: For me, that wasn't an option. I never
3: really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch, for the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18, plus, be gamble T's and C's apply.
2: Now some people call the sixth day of the week Saturday, we call it game day.
3: Saka looks inside, Lacazette with a real chance, breaks the challenge at Evans, away by Thomas, in by Smith-Rowe,
1: and Arsenal lead by two goals to nil. Four goals in his last seven games, is there anything this young man cannot do? do? Lalana play into Trossard Trosso and ready keeper. It's 2 2. Jorginho on his right foot and sticks
3: it straight down the middle. He applauds the fans behind the goal. Chelsea are staying top.
1: It's Newcastle 0, Chelsea 3. They came with a game plan today at the Etihad and it's definitely worked for them. Patrick Vieira will be thrilled to pieces. I'm not too sure about Pep Guardiola. Manchester
2: City
0: 0, Crystal Palace 2.
2: McTominay forward to Matic again and now he does slide in Rashford who's onside and he's charging into the area. Right footed finishes it let into the bottom corner, Tottenham Hotspur have been battered, bruised and booed at home. 87 minutes gone, Tottenham nil, Manchester United 3.
3: Watford nil, Southampton won a beauty of a delivery from Che Adams. Burnley 3, Brentford nil, this is turning into an absolute rout and Maxwell Corne has now got his goal. Tim
2: Kroll has simply got to save it, but Rodrigo has put Leeds back in front, Norwich 1 leads
3: 2. Aston Villa 1, West Ham 4, thanks to goals from Johnson, Rice 4 and Bowen West Ham have drawn themselves level on points with third place Manchester City in the Premier League table.
2: Newcastle nil, chelsea 3. A fresh face can't come quick enough at Newcastle United, who were distinctly second best to Chelsea. Reese James twice and Jorginho, who scored from the spot. He becomes the first player to score 10 consecutive Premier League goals from the penalty spot with none from open play. And they had chances in the first half that they should have taken. Crook?
3: Yeah, absolutely. But listen, it, you could argue that with every passing week, Steve Bruce looks a better Newcastle manager. Maybe he <laughs> wasn't a problem after all. Um, they were in the game. Newcastle um, didn't show that ruthless streak. Too easy to concede against. I mean, it was a great finish, particularly the first one with his wrong foot, Rhys James. But how much space was he afforded to, to <laughs> you know, to lash that one into the back of the net? It, it still amazes me that you've got these powerful people, these successful business people, who've taken over a football club seemingly with no plan about who to put in charge. I mean, the fact that we're two games into their tenure and they're still using Graham Jones, someone who by his own admission is a coach, not a football manager. That baffles me. Um, And I, I was going to tweet on Saturday night, but I resisted poking the bear. Newcastle could soon be the richest club in the championship because they are in big, big trouble. I mean, that was a... Did you not tweet that? I didn't tweet No, oh, you, just, you just sent it to our group instead.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I resisted, I resisted. But
0: Bad man. It's
3: an issue and it, it was too easy for Chelsea in the end. I mean, it was a staggering stat, wasn't it? The number of goals that have been scored by Chelsea defenders compared to midfielders and forward. But credit to Thomas Tuchel for that. And we were talking about a modern fullback earlier. I mean, Aaron Mambasaka, bless him, is just not capable of doing what Rhys James... And Ben Shieldwell do. But that's coaching because Trevor and I have
2: been lucky enough to do Chelsea a couple of times already this season and the way that they play this season is to get those um, wing backs whoever is on the other side to where the attack is happening into a centre-forward position almost an inverted winger position it comes down the channels they play with them coming into those sort of inside right and inside left channels, therefore giving them an extra man in the attacking final third, which is why Ben Chilwell has scored four goals in four Premier League games and why Rhys James has been on the score sheet in four matches already this season as well. Uh, It means that Chelsea head the table and have a cushion as well. My thought has always been with Chelsea is that they're not the finished article and they aren't the best team in the league, but if they get ahead and build up a decent lead, they might be quite tough to catch, mainly because they had a very difficult start to the season in terms of fixtures. They put that behind them and still established a lead at the top of the Premier League. Now they've got some rather forgiving fixtures in the not-too-distant future. I think if they can put a decent run together, it might be hard for the others to,
3: to get hold of them. And they're well coached. I think we're going to see the benefit this season. I think ultimately, the best coach will win the league. And at the moment, I think the best coach in English football is Thomas Tuchel, closely followed by Jurgen Klopp. I think at the moment Pep Guardiola is lagging a little bit behind those two.
0: I think it's, that's quite harsh. I think, um, you know, all three managers are great managers. I feel if the, the transfer window went as it, as it was hoped by Manchester City, then they would probably be proving themselves and be in a different position in the league. you're a
3: great success.
0: Well, yeah, similar to Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel, who bought a striker for hundred million. Um, just just looking at just looking at this game uh, in particular. I mean, I'm. Did you get quite off the fence again? By the way, I'm quite pleased race. that Graham Jones is in this situation at the moment because one, I think, obviously with the piracy the situation in in uh, the kingdom, it it was kind of solved very quickly and it caught everyone on the off. Steve Bruce has been sacked, um, and I was pleased to see him. Uh, in Dubai with Alex watching a bit of cricket in Dubai. Um, so he looked very relaxed. He had a bit of a tan and he was stress-free. So I was pleased that he was in that situation. And Graham Jones is now starting to understand what it, what the pressures are like as a manager. And I'm not sure he was very helpful for Steve Bruce because if you're going in there thinking that you can turn it around that means you're holding something back while you're working under Steve Bruce and for me that's not and you should be bringing everything to the table while you're supporting and being there as an assistant for. Well Steve that's
2: Bruce. interesting that you say that because I spoke to someone who works at another football club who were in a difficult situation this week and that was the kind of feeling that I got his view was this is the time to give everything that you've got this is the time right now If you've got any thoughts, any feelings, any suggestions, anything that you might have been holding back because you were a little bit, not scared to say it, but concerned that it wasn't the right time to say, now you've just got to get it out and and make it happen. And that team ended up winning a game this weekend. So I suppose, ultimately, what you're saying is, is that by not doing that, Graham Jones might have hampered the
0: Newcastle situation before inheriting it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not saying he has done this, but if you're taking a job on from a manager who's under pressure... And thinking that you're going to turn it around. Well, what else are you bringing that you weren't bringing while Steve Bruce was in the hot seat? Because if you've you've got bits on up your sleeve, that that to me. That's not on. You should be giving everything to Steve Bruce to try and make that, uh, give suggestions, any ideas, like you just mentioned, Steve. I'm not sure that was happening. And at times, I did see him in the technical area, kind of, it looked like he was talking over Steve, which I don't like to see. You know, I think there's the respect and there's an unwritten rule that if the manager's speaking, everyone else waits and, and, and has their chance. And I didn't see that with Graydon Jones. I might be wrong, but yeah, he's now starting to see how difficult this job is. Just going back to Chelsea, They've got no Lukaku, they've got no Timo Werner. Reese James, superb, I think one of the best. And if it wasn't for the experience um, that Kyle Walker has, I think he would be a shoe in for the England team and probably the best right back right wing back in the league do you think and it's then, to do
2: with the fact that Walker is a right back and can play in a four and Reese James usually plays in a three
0: yeah but well, Reese James is adaptable as well he can play in a three as a wing back he can play in a three as a right centre half he can play as a, 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 a number two as right back he's got the lot and and actually when he was at Wigan a few years ago when he was learning his, yeah, he his craft he was playing centre midfielder and he got player of the year at Wigan and I think he was in the team of the year for the championship so he's a multi-talented player he been, he's been taught the right way and Giorgino as we already knew definitely doesn't have a heart because he was on two goals Could to <laughs> score a hat-trick and Giorgino took the hat-trick took, took the penalty which I thought good have a look ruthless yeah yeah
2: ruthless that's what you want they want to win the league they want to they want to compete at the top of the table you don't just hand out hat-tricks at 76 minutes because you think that uh, it's a nice thing to do you've got to go it's... on and win the game
0: yeah I'm just looking at Newcastle listen six points from safety and that bottom team is Leeds um, I, think, I think they're in a, a lot of problems. I think they've got big problems ahead. And, you know, the sooner they can start getting players in, which you can't get them in before January the 1st, uh, but they need to be lining things up now, getting things organised. And if they've not got a manager, I just don't know how they're going to do that. And if they've not got a director of football, they need to get moving.
2: Okay, Leicester nil, Arsenal 2. A Talk Sports Saturday lunchtime game. And it's time to pay tribute to Superman. Aaron Ramsdale, Leicester had eight shots on target in this game, their second highest total of the season. Didn't score, uh, and this owed much to Ramsdale's performance. He was absolutely magnificent. Crook, in fairness, has been telling us he will be uh, ever since they became best mates on Facebook. (laughs) Um, And you've had him on the phone tonight as well, haven't you? You've been having a chat with him. Um, What what are you doing? Are you going out to the cinema together tomorrow, playing golf or something, snooker? (laughs) What's the situation?
3: Listen, the fact that I like the guy didn't have any impact on my feelings that he would be a very good goalkeeper. I think he has been a good goalkeeper, both Bournemouth and Sheffield United. But I think the mark of a truly great player is, is when you get the opportunity to go to a big club. And Arsenal still are a big club, despite the fact they haven't really competed in the Premier League for some time now in terms of the title if you can take your game onto a new level. And I think he's done that. Well, he has, because at Sheffield United last year, actually, he really struggled, especially in the early part of the season. Yeah, he was magnificent in the second half of the season. But uh, you're right, first half of the season, not great. But uh, you you mocked me for it at the time, but I said one of his best attributes is that personality, that character, which Arsenal badly need. And I mean, even the way he was mocking the Leicester fans, I said to him, was that that premeditated? And he said, no. And after I did it, I realised I really can't afford to let a goal in here because they're going to batter me. <laughs> um, but he said it helps keep him focused, keep him concentrated. And I think that maybe was a problem at uh, Sheffield United. And even at Bournemouth, he had a touch of the David James about him that he wanted to be involved the whole time and therefore would come for crosses that maybe he shouldn't, would, would, would try and get too involved. I think he's channeled that. And I think he's played a big part in Arsenal's success. But it's not just him. Um, I like the two fullbacks. I think Tomiyasu. No, oh, they've made a massive impact. Him. And the fact they didn't miss Tierney at the weekend is, is the ultimate accolade as far as Tavares is concerned It's just more balance about that defence yeah. now but Thomas Partey when he's fit yeah. they're a different team and the issue that Arteta has had is keeping him fit since he arrived last summer I think they're, they're contenders that fourth place is up for grabs now for me it's between, contenders for what for, for Europe for, for the top four yeah. for me it's between Manchester United West Ham and them mm. and they're, they're, in, they're in the conversation Trevor
0: yeah, and listen, we don't know whether Brighton can stay, uh, but if they, they, they've shown good quality this year, so y- you would have to throw them into the mix, uh, the way they've started and the way that they're picking up points, especially if you can go to Anfield and come from 2-0 down. I think they've got to be brought into the conversation. I was there, I was commentating. It was quite an equal game after 25 minutes. Uh, Arsenal started the game great, Leicester City were absolutely appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really difficult to watch. Thomas, Luke Thomas, it was, I think it was his first Premier League game of the season. He's been injured. He's got an opportunity. He came in. He was way off it. Saka left him for dead. Uh, the corner, listen, it was the perfect corner. It was a great whipped in ball, um, superbly met by Gabriel at a huge height. He's six foot four. It was, it was almost like, it was definitely a training ground one. And when it's executed properly, you can't really stop that from being headed on target. There was no one on the far post. It was a great goal, but don't give the corner away. Don't put yourself under pressure by starting the, the game badly. So this And the second goal, you know, they were still in this kind of lackadaisical mode. Madison gave the ball to Vardy, give it him back, and then it wasn't on to go back to Vardy. He's tried to force it, give the ball away, Madison, and then Arsenal broke on him. And Madison, oh, like, it was almost like he was, he was nearly there. He nearly got goal side of uh, Lacazette before the ball broke to Smith Rowe, and the damage was already done. And then from probably about twenty five minutes on, I thought Leicester would give a good account of themselves. Uh, some of the players, you know, put themselves back There was plenty of effort. Um, it's just the start killed him. I think the subs that came on really changed the game. Uh, both Harvey Barnes, superb. Daka did well. Uh, Luckman caused loads of problems to Arsenal. And actually, that kind of was a bit more of an acid test for Arsenal where they didn't seem invincible. They looked like they could easily concede. But they had a supermaning goal on the day that was saying... I'm not conceding a goal today and I have to say I'm Ramsdale was superb one of the best saves I've seen for a long time with a free kick and he he doubled that up by getting the rebound and in the second half he come out and smothered a shot for Harvey Barnes brave flexible anticipating things Um, yeah and he's shown great personality so Crookie you were right lad
2: he was right he was right about Ramsdale brilliant but he also said that Matt Ryan was a good goalkeeper let's move on Villa one, the West Ham United 4. What a super Sunday it was for David Moyes. Um, look, I mean, it was terrific performance by West Ham. I thought they were brilliant from the start, actually, before the sending off. They were dominant. The goal from Ben Johnson was excellently executed. Nothing more than they deserved. I was surprised, actually, that they conceded a goal um, when they did. But uh, look, apart from Villa's defending, the big talking point probably should be was Courtney Hawes lucky not to have been sent off for an elbow in the face of Pablo Fornauz? Because the VAR looked at that and then decided that actually they were going to send off Ezri Konza for denying a goal-scoring opportunity uh, when he took down Jared Bowen. Now, I thought that was a little bit too wide to be a, de- a, de- a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. But on reflection... What the VAR should have done, and I've actually consulted a Premier League official about this, the VAR should have recommended in this scenario two red cards. One for Courtney Hawes and the other for Esri Konza. But I don't think the VAR had the bottle to say to Chris Kavanaugh, hey, Chris, by the way, there's two red cards there. Uh, it's both Aston Villa central defenders and you miss them both. Any chance of going and having a look, fella?
3: Can you imagine... Dean Smith's reaction if, <laughs> if that did happen. Yeah,
2: it's not the point.
3: The fact is, is he, both of them should have been sent off. Well, I, I agree with, with the elbow. I still think the the concert one was possibly a bit harsh. I mean, we were on air at the time so we, we were only viewing from afar but to me, it looked like he was almost trying to get out of the way of, of the, the, the West Ham if, player. If they
2: decided to send him off, the horse one, to me, yeah. is a
0: blatant red yeah, card.
3: I, I agree with that. I think the concert one was harsh and I think horse was very lucky and therefore... Probably Dean Smith can't really complain, but he will.
0: Um, the horse one endangering a player, uh, intent out of control, dangerous. Got to go. I don't know why. VR obviously don't understand the game, or they're not interested they, in. Safe... They bottled it. They
2: bottled it. They're they not interested in safeguarding hunter, players. Uh, they should have sent off both the players, and they bottled it.
0: Maybe if maybe if he would have broken, um, if he would have broken uh, his jaw. Then maybe you would have sent it in Nell's jaw. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was well, so obvious. You can't I can't mean,
2: afford to be in that situation that you're waiting for someone to break their jaw to get right. sent off. Can you?
0: Well, this is we we need to ask this to VIR because for me, it, listen, we we mentioned earlier about the offside and uh, sorry about the the last man and is that a red card or is it not? You can argue either way. I feel with the red card that they gave, yeah. yeah so that's that 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 is not even in, in the conversation. They decided to give that a red. I think. The, 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 the forearm smash is so dangerous and it's very, very concerning and disappointing that they've not seen that and give a red card. But they have seen it and they've decided not to but give no, a red card. What I'm saying That's is the they've, not seen, about it. they've not seen how dangerous it is. It's, it's really wrong.
2: And actually, I think it's, it, it, it shines a light on the fact that actually that they need to make sure that they understand the severity of that sort of action because that could have cost... The West Ham player Pablo Fornells games out. That's it. That mm-hmm. is in. That's the whole definition of endangering the safety of an opponent. It's violent
0: conduct. That is a red
2: card. Yeah. Um, away from that, um, Rice was absolutely superb again. I mean, his finish for the goal was brilliant.
0: Yeah. I mean, I heard him talking about it afterwards and analyze it. Jamie Redknapp, um, and he was saying, "Yeah, I'd like to see the goalkeeper Martinez do better." And I'm thinking, one, he's unsighted. Two, you cannot get any more accurate than that. You know, even if it's in the top corner, it's easier to get to. The bottom corner is so difficult for a keeper to get across. There's a zip on the pitch. I thought it was a brilliant goal. You know, and I've mentioned Frank Lampard's name already tonight, but Frank Lampard used to score a lot of goals where he's not striking it cleanly, but because he is so accurate with where he puts it towards the goal, they go in anyway. The keeper can't get anywhere near him. And that was exactly what uh, Declan Rice did. I thought it was brilliant. he gave give the ball away sloppily, which David Moyes mentioned um, a couple of times throughout the game. But in general, his performances are just going through the roof. And I have to give a call out to, to Ben Johnson because I was a bit concerned. We was at the game um, when they beat Everton and Leon Bailey came on and affected the game superbly well. He's obviously not got to his match fitness yet because he's been out injured. But I have to say, Ben... Ben Johnson pocketed Leon Bailey who is going to be a big star and not only that took him the other way got his own goal and uh, I thought he was brilliant on the night and he has developed massively since since last season when we seen him at the Etihad against Manchester City where he was completely out of his depth.
3: Just on Rice again it's a credit to David Moore and his coaching staff because I know they're trying to instil in him that he can get up and, and score more goals from that kind of position he's scored three now in all competitions two in the Europa League one in the Premier League he is becoming the complete midfielder I've said it before he could walk into any team in the country in my opinion I think he's sensational but what's impressed me about David Moyes and about West Ham is the way that he's managed the squad you know it was an emotional victory against Manchester City in the League Cup I know he left out one or two players Antonio Eight changes for example game. yeah but to manage to do that and, and still come back and, and produce that kind of performance away from home they Unbeaten in the Europa League, they have a 100% record in that competition. I expect them to go deep into the draw in Europe. David Moyes has really redeemed his reputation, his reputation that was left in shreds after what happened at Manchester United and Sunderland and, and Sosie had had. And I think they are top four contenders. They spent a lot of money on Nikola Vlasic. They brought in uh, Alex Crowell as well. Neither of those really can get near the team in, in the but, Premier League. But it's
2: forced the others to up their game. Four nows, ben Rama, Bowen... They've become better players right. in the absence of Jesse Lingard. They've taken their games onto new uh, levels because they know that they've got a fight on their hands to hold on to that shirt. And they've done a terrific job at creating this brilliant team spirit behind the scenes as well. You can only say good things about West Ham United. And do you know what? I'm pleased that they're in the top four. Um, Norwich Leeds finished 2-1 to Leeds. Uh, it's another defeat for Daniel Farker. Um, and this was this was a strange match. You commentated on it, Crook, for for TalkSport International. Um, It was pretty average. And then there was three goals in a balmy six
3: minutes. Um, But the final goal owes a lot to some terrible goalkeeping. Yeah. Um, I mean, if if you're questioning Martinez over the rice finish, you've certainly got to question Tim Krull over the Rodrigo goal. Rodrigo, not someone who scores on a regular basis in the Premier League. Four and a half minutes, actually, between the the opening goal um, and the winning goal from Rodrigo. Leeds, to me, looked a team devoid of a bit of confidence. They're not playing with the same intensity they were last season. I mentioned a stat to you, Sam, that on average, over 90 minutes now, as a team, they're running six kilometres less than they did last season. That would be a concern if I was Marcelo Biel. So they missed the focal point that is Patrick Banford. Rafinha, too good for them, for me. I think he should be playing his trade much higher. He should be playing in the Champions League. He's somebody scoring goals for Brazil now. So I think they will have work cut out keeping him... Come the end of the season. Having said all that, Norwich still lost. And it, and if you you know, if you're gonna to lose to a Leeds team who are not playing particularly well, you just can't see where that first win is is coming from. Um yes, they scored, as you mentioned at the top of the programme, it's twenty games now in the Premier League without a win. They've lost eighteen of those, drawn two, they've scored four goals, five wins in forty-eight Premier League games with Daniel Farker, and having been crucified at the start of the season for some of the comments I made about Norwich a lot of their fans are now starting to turn there were boos at full time lots of calls sure, on social says media Farker out them. you're bullying them listen again you're a bully no agenda you're a bully they're just not very good and you're a bully five wins in 48 Premier League games how can a manager Trevor even with your LMA hat on how can he be assured his job is safe with that kind of well, record?
0: I wouldn't, I wouldn't say his job is safe. I think well, Stuart Webber
3: did. Of... Stuart Webber said he's, to, he's
2: safe. Yeah, yeah for now.
0: Him. For now, I think you look at where they were last season coming up as champions and earning the right. Um, Stuart Webber was obviously... distracted
2: by the fact that Crook is a bully though. I mean, that, yeah. that was... Yeah, that was a... and
0: enriching what he, what you know, sticking with the club, um, getting them promoted back to the Premier League. But you have to make more of a fist of it, you know, second time round. And, I th- I th- I've been really disappointed with Norwich because I-, I have spoke with uh, Mr Weber and I have looked at what they've tried to achieve with their recruitment, with their athleticism of players that they brought in, but I'm just not seeing that performance on the pitch. It's, it's all
2: right coming out with all these great statements and saying, yeah, of course, you know, oh, we're, we're a self-funding club and we yeah. invested this much money and with uh, football is designed to uh, to be a game that you have to try to win. They have signed bad players, so they might have spent fifty million pounds this summer, mm. money that they got from selling Emi Buendia, But they spent it badly. You know, they've scored three goals. One of them was a penalty. We're in the tenth match. That's the yeah. lowest. That's the no. joint lowest total of goals that a premi- that any team in any ling- English league season start has ever managed.
0: Yeah, I agree, and and I think equally is worrying. You know, we've, men- we've mentioned Leeds just briefly there. I think. Uh, you look at the form of Phillips. I think he, he's really struggled since the Euros. He looked uh, off the pace today. Patrick he's Bamford still from injury, isn't he? Patrick Bamford, twenty-four goals involvements last season, seventeen goals and seven. The sooner they can get him back, the better. And like you mentioned earlier, the running stats are they not, have they not done the same pre-season? No. Are, are they fatigued, physically? No. Whatever it is, they're they're just above the relegation zone. And if any of them lower teams, I can't see it being Norwich. But if any of the, the the other, the, uh, if Newcastle decide to start picking up wins, Burnley just picked up a win. Leeds are in trouble and they need to start finding that form that, that kind of won quite a lot of fans over up and down the country. Uh, this season, they can't find it, but they need to find it quickly.
2: They'll be all right. Um, Watford might not be. They take on Southampton, who beat them by a goal to nil. A great goal by Shea Adams. Um, and no backlift in his strike before he put it in the top corner. He missed the. A- a cracking opportunity after that and in fact they really should have won that game by a lot more than they did they should have been 2 or 3 nil up by the time he opened the scoring they were the better team even without Brogier. Uh but that was their only shot on target in the game and that might be a, a little bit of a concern
3: Yeah, although that was probably more to do with wasteful finishing you've mentioned the Adams chance and on another day, Adam Armstrong may well have come away with a hat-trick. But it is a problem for Southampton. It was something I spoke to Ralph Haas who's about. In terms of Nathan Redmond, actually, who have been playing almost as a, a second striker, a number 10, if you like. He played out wide this weekend. He's only scored one goal in 2021. And that really is a microcosm of Southampton as a team. They don't get enough goals from midfield. They haven't really replaced the goals of Danny Ings. Having said that, defensively I think they've been fairly resolute this season Livermento has played a part in that Salis who now is fit and proving that he can cope in the Premier League obviously Walker Peters has had to shift over to the left-hand side of defence as he did at the weekend so I don't fear for Southampton because they are creating chances and I think actually sooner or later somebody might be on the end of a, a pretty hefty defeat from Southampton
2: Burnley beat Brentford by 3 goals to 1. It's a first win at home for Burnley this season. Sean Dice celebrating. And <coughs> 9 years in charge by seeing him uh, seeing his team go from 7 goals in 9 games to 10 in 36 minutes. What on earth happened to Brentford's defense?
3: Well, this is not going to be a popular opinion and you may even see it as a bold shout, but we spoke about it off air uh, in between our shows on Sunday. I actually fear a bit for Brentford, um, that they wouldn't be the first team to come up from the Championship, start like a steam train and then rapidly run out of gas. History tells us that as the season uh, drags on, those newly promoted teams do find it difficult to get points. They need to get the points on the board early. Brentford have done that, to be fair, but if you can see three goals against Burnley, you're in trouble. And three successive defeats now for Thomas Frank's side. I think they're only five points above the relegation places. Mm. I think they're right in the thick of the relegation battle. And I don't think the squad is, is deep enough either.
2: Well, that's an interesting point because I, was, I said to you when we bumped into each other in between our two shows on Sunday that I, I don't disagree with you because I think they're in that sort of situation now where they're losing games and losing points when they're playing well. What happens when they start playing badly? That, that, that will become a problem for them. Um, their only hope maybe is, is that there is three worst teams. And actually, maybe that they pick up a little bit Ivan Tony had a great chance again in the game, which was stopped by Nick Pope during the match. It may have changed if that had gone in. Um, Maxwell Cornet had a, a really good impact on Burnley, hasn't he? He's added a different dimension, but goal scoring was never really his thing, funnily enough. He scored his fourth goal in five league games for the Clarets, which is twice
0: as many as he got at Leon last season, Trevor. Yeah, what an impact he's had. Not just his goals, his performance. The fact that he's got ridiculous amounts of speed gives them a different dimension to the way that they can play. You know, we see him hitting the focal point, which might be Ward, it might be Barnes, whoever it is. They try and hit that focal point, win flips or get that player to bring the ball down and play off him. I think now they've got the option to use the channels and get the ball over the top as well. Um, Yeah, I I mean, it's no surprise that Burnley got that win for me because when you look at... um, Teams and their strengths, I, I kind of uh, the analogy I use for this is styles make fights, and these two uh, teams have a similar style. It's just that Burnley do it a lot better and a lot higher standard. They're battlers um, they're physical and when they need to they can when they have to they can play football as well and I think they it's just the wrong matchup for Brentford who a lot of their game is is it, it revolved around physicality, getting challenges winning second balls. I just feel that like Burnley did that better on the day. And yeah, great win. Um, I do feel Cornets brings something very different for their team and and they could get on a run now. You know, it's a great way for um, Sean Dyches to celebrate his nine years at the football club. And I'm sure it'll be... Um, Trying everything he can to make sure that it's a successful season as well for Burnley.
2: Trevor, I thought you had a little bit more. you ne sais quoi say than that. It's Cornet. Don't call him Cornet. Cornet. It's not Cornet. <laughs> David. <laughs> da- Dave. That's an ice cream, isn't it? <laughs> the good news. The good news. The good news for Brentford is, is, is uh, say it quietly. Next Saturday. They've got Norwich at home. Um, Right, Okay. Thank you very much for downloading the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Remember uh, that the pre-match pod will be out on Thursday afternoon to preview all the weekend's action. And what a weekend we've got next weekend. Um, We're excited about you downloading the podcast and telling all your friends about it. Make sure you keep in touch with us. Uh, This is the Game Day podcast from TalkSport.